We're going to go back uh, 21 years ago to um, uh, Tom Hanks when he played the character Chuck Nolan in the movie Castaway. Um, for those of you that didn't see it or you saw it back when it came out, you might need a little refresher course. And, and uh, Chuck Nolan was working for FedEx. Um, he was put on a, a plane with a, a pilot, co-pilot, and they just happened to be running into a massive Pacific typhoon that came out of nowhere. And it tossed that FedEx plane, man, around like a rag doll, and they finally crashed into the Pacific Ocean, killing the crew. And Chuck himself was washed ashore on this deserted island. And um, he was stranded for five years um, as a lonely castaway. And as the days dragged on, um, Chuck realized, you know, I'm all alone. I need to talk to somebody. And he, he longed for a friend, a face. And he found the volleyball that happened to make it to the island with him. And uh, the volleyball wasn't enough for him. So he became creative and painted a face on it. And... Uh, this is really unique um, and creative. He, he called the volleyball Wilson. <laughs> Actually, Wilson had a name tag on already, so it made it pretty easy. And um, uh, Wilson actually became uh, a kind of a stabilizing force in Chuck's life, maintaining his humanity and his sanity over these years. And and as time goes on, he, he starts talking to, relating to this imaginary friend. They become very close buds. And as time goes on, um, Chuck gets a little more creative, and he rips some strands of leather and stands it up to simulate hair itself, you know, to make Wilson look even more human. And um, the night before, he was planning to make his escape from the island on his raft, he has some quiet moments with Wilson. And he asked him, are you nervous? And Wilson didn't say anything. And Chuck said, well, I'm nervous. And he goes off on opening up his fears and anxieties and pouring out his heart to Wilson. And... Um, the cool thing was that Chuck had become a loyal friend to Wilson. He didn't leave him on the island. He brought him on the raft the next morning <laughs> to rescue him. I mean, they were so, such a close friendship, you know, over those four years. It was pretty impressive. But the film, Castaway, relates to you and me and how we need other people in our lives. And there are times when we think we can do it on our own. We can handle life by ourselves. And uh, how often we go, you know, hitting the ground and collapsing in the process. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And it's true. It's true. And I'd like to submit the question today, are you a castaway? Are you living life alone? Have you pushed 
people away from you because you've been hurt and wounded in the process. Well, this morning as we jump into the book of Philippians 2 once again, uh, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul needed friends as well. Now, if you look at Paul by himself, you'd say, man, this dude's tough, you know. He, he, he's, uh, he doesn't need anybody else. He can handle life on his own, but it's not true. He, he uh, communicates well on how much he appreciates these two friends in this text. So let's go to Philippians 2, and um, uh, I'm going to start at verse 14 to kind of back up and bring us up to speed of where we are at the, this morning. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life then on the day of Christ's return. I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Then verse 19, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy, this is one of Paul's friends, to you soon for a visit. And then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that it's relevant in the days that we're living. Um, man, we, we are grateful, Lord, that you are such a friend to us. You model what friendship looks, should look like. And, and so as we uh, jump into your word, uh, may your spirit just put life and light on it that we can apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Paul, um, uh, you can usually tell, you know, the people you hang with, what kind of person you are, your friends, the kind of friends you pick will usually dictate the kind of person you will become. Paul had a lot of opposition from Jewish opponents. <laughs> In fact, he had some, some Christians that really didn't care for him either. And, um, but he had, he had a lot of good friends, and, and that's encouraging. You can go to the book of Romans chapter 16, and Paul kind of lists their names on, uh, on the people that he really appreciated. But Paul was no different from you and me, and he recognized that fact that he needed friends. He needed people around him. And the reason Paul was really successful in his ministry was that he had other men helping him, um, undergirding him with their friendship. Uh, Paul was sick at one time. He needed Dr. Luke when he was limited in strength and unable to handle the rigors of extensive travel alone. He needed Barnabas and Silas. Being restricted in freedom at times, he needed others to carry his letters to prescribed destinations. They didn't have a postal service back in the day, so, so Paul used his friends to be the carriers, the messengers. 
And actually, there were times when he had other people um, write out his letters. He couldn't do it, so they listened to what he said and they wrote it down. And Paul's life experience taught him that good friends are really valuable. And I think all of us this morning would say yes to that as well. We, we need friends, we need people around us, and it does make life a little easier. So in the text today, we're going to see uh, Paul's talking about two of his close friends, uh, one named Timothy and the other Epaphroditus. If I had a vote, I would say Epaphroditus. Uh, let's, let's rename him. Did he have a nickname growing up? You know, can you imagine his mom yelling through the back door, Epaphroditus, you know, Epaphroditus, five, five syllables. Should we call him Paf for short? Well, we, we, we won't vote on that today, but it's just a thought. Um, Timothy, Paul says, was like a son in verse 22. Epaphroditus was like a brother in verse 25. So you see that... Um, these two friends really hung with Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome. They, uh, they encouraged him. They, they spoke life into him and uh, in, in his work for the Lord. And so as you walk through this text, you, you see Paul just is giving accolades to Timothy and to Epaphroditus. They had proven themselves to be faithful. Uh, you could count on them. Um, and, and if Paul couldn't do something, he knew that these two men, they would stand in the gap for him. So in the meantime, uh, we see that Paul's going to send Epaphroditus back to the church at Philippi. And the church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to, to Paul, giving, they took up an offering, they, they sent some money with him. And so uh, that in itself, man, if you can give somebody some money and know it's going to get to where you want it to go, you know, you'd say, that's a good person. That's a person of integrity. And so Paul realized that. And the church at Philippi recognized it as well, that Epaphroditus was a good man. And so they could trust him, and they sent him off. So Jesus, um, you know, when we look at friends, uh, what kind of friends do you have? You know, their they're, they're, they're pictures come to mind. Maybe the little rascals, you know, they, they had a bunch of friends there. You know, our gang, uh, they hung out together. They were good friends, and uh, we can learn something from them, can't we? We can't? Yes? Yes, we can? Okay. All right. Well, anyway, they're a lot of fun to watch, and, and, and you see, um, okay, little rascals, <laughs> we'll give you some time and space here. Jesus himself talked about friendship in John 15, verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. And since I have told you everything the Father told me. And so um, the good, faithful hymn from 
years ago, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And there's other verses that go along with that too, but um, the last month or so, we've been singing on Wednesdays and Sunday mornings the chorus, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh. You want to sing that with me? We'll do that after church. <laughs> we'll have Nick come up on a guitar and we'll have him help us. Cause, yeah, yeah. But that's pretty cool. What a friend we have in Jesus, isn't it? What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend. And so we're grateful. Number one in your notes, live with great purpose. Verse 16b, we're picking up from two weeks ago where we left off. Hold firmly to the word of life. Remember, uh, Paul was putting great emphasis that we need, to, we need to stick with God's word. And then we also need to proclaim his word to those that don't know Christ. And he says that on the day of Christ's return, and I, I like that because um, there are people that believe that Jesus is not coming back, you know. It's been too long. We're on our own. But Paul endorses the fact that Jesus is, in fact, coming back on the day of Christ's return. I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. So Paul is looking into the future when he's going to stand before Jesus, think about that. Now, uh, you've heard me say this before, but when I know I'm going to sit before the dentist, it's intimidating. You know, I have my little card on the refrigerator for the date that I need to go. And the week of it, I'm just, you know, you think about, oh, the pain. Yeah. You know, all that stuff. So, so I'm not standing before the dentist. I'm sitting before him. Um, there's a lot of anxiety. But when you think about standing before Jesus Christ, what comes to your mind? Is it fear? Is it trepidation? Is it, oh, no, oh, no, I'm so scared. Is that you? Or is it one of confidence? It's like a family reunion. The one who died for you will look at you face to face with eyes of love. Hmm? Isn't that going to be a great day? Well, Paul, Paul was not fearful of looking into the future and standing before Jesus. He was looking forward to that day, man. A family reunion. A time that he's been looking forward to. And that should be our position as well. So, Paul looks and, you know, realizes he's going to give an account of his ministry. And he's talking about the church of Philippi, man. And he's excited. He's saying, I will be proud that I did not run this race in vain. Why? Because they were, the church was being faithful to the gospel. The church was being faithful in modeling the character of Jesus Christ. And Paul, yes, had made an investment in planting that church 
But he would be excited on that day when he saw the church at Philippi standing before Jesus as well and knowing that I did not run this race in vain because there's some reward here. There, there, there's, there's, there's people that put their faith in Jesus Christ because of it. And that my work wasn't useless. How about you? Are you maybe living in regret right now? Um, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about those regrets? Well, um, we have a no regrets slide, and we're not talking about the men's conference that we had last March, February. We're talking about, as men and women, uh, a lot of individuals live their lives with regret. They carry it with them. And especially when they get later in, in age, you know, they, they see their life before them and they, man, I, I wish this and this. Well, anyway, pastor author Dave Willis wrote the seven most common deathbed regrets. Over the years of ministry, he has heard many people on their deathbed giving regrets to their life. I wish I did this better. And this is what he said. I wish, number one, I wish I would have been myself instead of trying to blend in with the crowds. Maybe that's you today. I wish I wouldn't have allowed fear to dictate my decisions. Number two. Number three, I wish I would have made my faith a bigger priority. Number four, I wish I would have been a better husband or wife. Number five, I wish I would have been a better parent. Number six, I wish I would have been a better friend. So you have time to make a difference there. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. Kenny Luck, who... Um, Heads the Everyman Ministry put it this way, I have seen firsthand how the lack of communication and connection among men has created a culture of spiritual castaways. Sounds like Chuck Noland, doesn't it? On this deserted island. It's how a lot of men live their lives, deserted island men, you know. They're out there all by themselves. Pulled off course in their walks with God, not reporting their spiritual or personal status to anyone. No one knows them or where they are with the Lord. Their spiritual compasses are definitely off track. Time passes and when the typhoons of temptation strike, they drift way off course. Unfortunately, many men do not even have the chance to get rescued because they were never checking in with anyone. Gentlemen, is that you? Are you a castaway, a spiritual castaway? Have you been wandering on no man's land, on a deserted island? Nobody knows where you're at spiritually. You know, you're kind of living it on your own. Well, that's dangerous ground. It's dangerous ground. We need to purpose to live with great purpose. You know, we do. And, and how do we do that? What does that look like? Um, well, let's finish this list. We're stuck on six. Let's go to seven. I wish I hadn't wasted so much time. Psalm 39, four, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me 
that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. And so as Paul was looking into the future, when he would stand before Christ to give an account of his life, he was fired up about it. And um, um, what do we have? Another classic hymn, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. What a day, glorious day that will be. Okay. Now, the, the, the writer of that hymn, do you think they're anxious? Uh, do you think they're full of fear of that day? No, they are excited about it. Why? Because what a friend we have in Jesus. There's a friendship there. And Jesus said, you're my friend if you obey me. If we obey him, whew, what a day that's going to be. No regrets. I'm coming in face to face to see the Savior of the world dying for me, rescued me from sin. Why? Because he wants to spend eternity with me. That is great. So 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Does that, ec that echoes what Paul writes right here in verse 16b. I didn't work, uh, I didn't, my work was not useless. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. So you're living with great purpose when you live for the Lord. Yeah, you can put your head on the pillow at night, knowing there's no regrets, man. I live for the Lord today. And I look forward to the day when I'll see him face to face. It's a life of no regrets. It's a life lived with great purpose. Man, think about it. We get to live for the Lord. We get to represent him. Now, listen, I know it's been humid the last few days. I know the sun's been hiding behind the clouds, but friends, there, there should be some jumping jacks going on inside your core right now, right? The weather will not dictate on how fired up I'm going to be about being at Life Church on a Sunday morning, right? You don't know the humidity. It just waves me down. Just waves me down. <laughs> well, that's okay. That's all right. Number two, I've got the joy, 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 joy. Oh, yeah. 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 Let's, let's put that one up. That's another classic song. I've got the joy, joy, joy. That's Paul singing, and he's chained to a praetorium guard. You know, he's, he's full of joy here. Um, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Where? <laughs> down in my heart to what? To stay. It doesn't come and go. It stays, man. It's an anchor, right? Yeah. So... Your, your, your little blank to the right after the joy, 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 that's Paul. He's, he's, he, he's, he's who we're talking about here. Um, 
Paul mentions that he's being poured out like a liquid offering. Let's, let's read that. I will rejoice. Let's count how many times he word, uses the word rejoice or joy. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Do you see Paul singing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart while he's chained to a praetorium guard? Do you think he was doing that? And the praetorium guard says, where? And Paul says, (laughs) down in my heart. (laughs) Haven't you heard that song before? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I forgot. I forgot. Whatever. So so in the ancient world, what Paul's talking about, um, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God Uh, In the ancient world, when they did animal sacrifices for sin, Israel, for example, um, while that animal was being burned on the altar, paying for your sins, my sins, uh, there would be a final act of sacrifice, and that was called the liquid offering. They would take olive oil, uh, wine, or water, and they would pour it out over the burning sacrifice. And the heat, being so extreme, would immediately vaporize that liquid, uh, really turning it into a a beautiful aroma, a sweet-smelling aroma. And that's what Paul is is talking about here. He sees his life as he's topping off the bigger sacrifice. It's, uh, he said, I'm pouring it out. He's not talking about a future sacrifice, you know, when my life is coming to an end. He's talking about a sacrifice here and now. So many people look down the road. You know, when I get all my ducks lined up, for all your hunters here, get all your ducks lined up, and then I'm going to do this for God. You know, my, my sister uh, felt called to the mission field as a young lady and um, got sidetracked. And when she was nearing retirement, she thought, well, after I retire, maybe I can go on to the mission field. But then when she was 62 years old, she died. It never happened. A lot of people live their lives like that. When, when this and this gets, you know, happens, then I will do this for God. See, Paul, Paul's not putting it on pause for God. He's pouring it all out right here, right now. It's all in. I'm all in for God right now. And when he's talking about being a liquid offering, he's saying, I'm not holding anything back from God. I'm pouring my life out before him completely. You know, no secret corners, no closets over here. I'm all in. That's what God is waiting for in our lives. Are we, are we waiting for, you know, a perfect, Or are we living for him completely today and tomorrow? So Paul is, he's not holding anything back for the future day. He, uh, in 2 Timothy 4, 6, he writes, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. Paul is saying, man, you know, even if I lose my life uh, for Christ... 
It's not going to matter to me as long as you live for Christ. You know, that's what fires me up, Paul is saying. Your example, your longevity, your relationship with God, man, that's all that matters. Now, that word, your faithful service, let's, um, the tail end of verse 17, your faithful service literally means worship service. A service of worship. Paul is saying being the light of Christ is part of your worship to God. That's what's cool about coming like on Sundays, you know. We worship together. There's something powerful that transpart that trans that happens. <laughs> My mind went blank, man. It just went blank. <laughs> Transpires. <laughs> Paul is saying, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. Hmm. That word uh, pour means to pour out an offering as an act of worship. When I, when I read that, you know, the imagery that came to me was the woman in um, Mark 14 who, who in an alabaster jar, and it, it wasn't a day's wage in an alabaster, it was a year's worth of wages. It was an expensive perfume. And she didn't say, well, you know, I'm gonna, I need to live off this for the rest of the year. I'm just going to put a few drops on Jesus. No, she broke the alabaster jar and she poured it all out on his feet. There's something about pouring it out. No holding back, no restriction. Paul is saying, I'm not holding anything back. I'm pouring my life out as a liquid offering before the Lord. I tell you, man, there's something awesome about that. Um, too, too many people are living their lives with a foot in the world and a foot in with God, and they wonder why they, their life is a drag, why Christianity is boring. Well, that's one of the reasons right there. Compromise dilutes the power of Christ living in and through you. So Paul says... I will rejoice. Let's circle that word. And then the tail end, he says, and I want all of you to share that joy. Verse 18, yes, you should rejoice. Circle that, and I will share in your joy. Circle that. So those, the word rejoice that Paul chooses twice in this text is kario. It means to rejoice, be glad, be joyful, be full of joy. The word joy that Paul chooses twice in this text is sincaro, which means to rejoice with anybody. And so it's like here at Life Church and watching online, I'm going to rejoice with anybody. Anybody that's here, I'm going to rejoice. Paul is saying, hey, don't pick and choose who you're going to rejoice over. The people that are here today, let's, let's rejoice together. Man, 
Do you realize, like, uh, just for on Sunday morning when you guys are coming in the foyer, you know, and you, there's eye contact, do, do you know what goes on? My heart just smiles. It's so good. It's so good to see you again. It's so good to see you again. <laughs> really? It's true. To get fired up, like Paul is saying, I will rejoice with anyone who's rejoicing in the Lord. <laughs> it's a good place to be. A man who had been living for the Lord for many years, and he had a he had a it was um he was motivated, he was joyful in living for the Lord over his life, and somebody that had been watching him for, for a long time asked him, hey, how, how do you do that? What's the secret behind this longevity of being motivated to, to live and to be joyful in that relationship with the Lord? And he said, I was just so thankful that God would reach down and save someone like me. I've never been able to get over it. For the rest of my life, I've just wanted to do whatever I could to serve the Lord. Do you know the problem with a lot of Christians in America today is that they've gotten over it. You know? No big deal. It's just no big deal. Yeah, God saved me. I'm going to heaven. But they've lost the fire of that love relationship when you realize God's grace, the longer you're in that relationship with him, the greater and bigger you see his love and his grace poured out on you. And it's just like another wave of his love and another wave of his grace. I don't deserve this. And God, you are so amazing. That's what this dude is talking about, man. He never lost the, the fact that... God saved him, a wretch like me. I was, once was blind, but now I see. See? You see, we need to keep that on the burner. God, you are so good. You're so faithful. And number three, Friends care. And the, uh, the blank to the right is Timothy. Verse 19, if the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you are getting along. For I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting? Paul is... Uh, kind of pulling a curtain back, exposing really the, the compromise in Christians' lives. He says, I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. What about all the other Christians, Paul knows? All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Is that you? Is that me? Um, 
friend's care. And Jesus cares. And Paul appreciates that. Um, in Romans 12.10, Paul writes, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Let's read that again. Should we read it again? It's so good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. You know what that reminds me of? Take delight. The Lord delights in every detail of your life. Psalm 37, 23. The Lord delights in every detail of your life. Think about that. So when you look forward to the day when you stand before him, the Lord delights in every detail of your life. Are you going to go in with trembling, anxiety? No. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. We, because the Lord delights in every detail of our lives, we can delight in honoring each other. It's fun. It's a blast. Think about that. You know, uh, in our relationships, uh, live church, you didn't pick me. I didn't pick you. <laughs> but here's the deal, dot, dot, dot. God picked both of us. See the difference maker? We are family. We're family. Max Lucado put it this way. If similar experiences create friendships, shouldn't the church overflow with friendships? With whom do you have more in common than fellow believers? Amazed by the same manger that Jesus was born in, stirred by the same Bible, saved by the same cross, destined for the same home, heaven, the church. More than family, we are friends. More than friends, we are family. God's family of friends. Isn't that cool? We're a family of friends. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh. oh. Father, we are grateful that you call us friends. And Lord, what a friend we have in you. We're grateful that Timothy and Epaphroditus modeled what friendship should look like to Paul, to us. And Lord, it's so easy to get caught up in our own little world, what matters to us. We just pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for being so consumed with ourselves. Help us to take our eyes off ourselves, Lord, and take delight in honoring each other. Man, how fun that is. How fun and cool that is, Lord. And it's possible that you might be here today or watching online that Jesus isn't your friend. You're afraid of him. You're 
from what you've heard, you think he carries lightning bolts and he's out to get you. And that's not an accurate picture of who Jesus is. Read the Bible and find out that he was willing to go to a cross to pay for your sins and my sins in full. Why? Because he wanted to have a relationship with you. Why? Because he wanted to spend eternity with you in heaven. That's what a friend does. He lays down his life for his friends. And if you've been pushing him away and rejecting him and ignoring him, today's a great day to say, Jesus, you died for my sins. You paid for my sin debt in full. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. And you paid it in full, Lord, so I'm putting all my trust in you today. I am, Lord. I'm inviting you to come into my life and become my spiritual leader. Forgive me of my sin. Empower me to live my life for you by your Holy Spirit all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, forgiving me rescuing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Hasn't it been good to, to just be with the Lord today? Huh? Hasn't it been good? Lord, you are so good. Lord, you are so good. Help me, Lord, to not be so selfish. Help me to represent you well in all I do. I need your help to do that. And I believe that the Spirit of God has been talking to a lot of us today. Letting go of things so that we can embrace Christ fully.